Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you, story time. That's right, we're in chapter 27 of A White Stone. We are coming near the end of this uh, incredible journey that a friend of mine wrote. Um, Brother Jim Corbett wrote this uh, in the late 90s while we were met him while we were out in Durango youth pastoring and uh, man, I, I hope as, as you're staying up with these and, and maybe going back and re, re-listening to some of this, that it really is impacting you. Uh, at the end of the last chapter, we split that last chapter up and uh, where we had the, the gentleman named Mark who was meeting with Pastor Morgan, who used to pastor the big church, resigned or got fired or whatever, um, basically talking about the need to simply become Christ-like. Uh, this this Christ-like atmosphere, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's happening to all who are seeking Him with all of their heart. What an incredible thought to seek the Lord with all of our heart. So here we are, chapter 27 of A White Stone, and as always, we'll start with From Our Father's Heart. My wrath is soon to break forth upon your land. There will be no place to hide for those who have not heard my call to holiness. But fear not. Those who know me, who have learned to be locked up with me, will rise above the darkest places. I will have my bride. The world will see and notice the redemptive power of the cross. They will be astonished as I bring forth the beauty of life from the ashes. My word will go forth. My plans will be accomplished. My people will be vessels of honor to me. Be of great courage. Be steadfast. Lock yourselves up with me and live. Wow, what a powerful thought. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. It was a rainy day in the city. Tommy Bracken sat in the window seat of the Red Carlson's bus watching the rain pelt against the window on the way to his first day of school at Thomas Jefferson Middle School on Melvina Street. Red had been led by the Lord to sell his home in order to buy several buses in which to transport children back and forth through rough neighborhoods so they wouldn't be hurt or on their way to school. Originally, Red was transporting to and from a Christian school, but the Lord saw fit to expand his ministry. As Red would say it, with that ever-present gleam in his eye, kids who ain't Christians need to see someone who cares. When I pick them up for free, no strings, they and their parents see Jesus. And you know what, he said, as a mischievous grin crossed his freckled face, to them, Jesus looks just like me. I might be his only representative in their lives. Wow, what an honor. Tom and Sally finished the upper floors of the building which they had purchased as a safe place for people who wanted to be delivered from alcohol or drugs or bondages of any kind. On the first and second floors, a free walk-in clinic was established for anyone who had need. The purchase and operation of it exhausted the money they had had acquired for the sale of their home and their personal effects. Carl Henderson, Tom's former employer, had decided to sell his business and donated the profits to Tom and Sally to use wisely. Within weeks of the sale, he had disappeared, and no one had heard from him since. The money purchased and renovated the abandoned hospital two blocks away. Love, care, hope, and especially answers in Jesus were part of every prescription. And there were always an open door for the healer of mankind to perform his wonders on those deemed medically hopeless. 
Many bodies were supernaturally restored to continue to testify the power of the cross and its effect on believers. If and when the Lord chose to intervene, many believers were able to continue their mission unaffected or miraculously healed when exposed to chemical and germ warfare. Deadly poisons simply didn't have any adverse effect as God protected them. As the family, now somewhat acclimated to their new surroundings, began finding their ministry base, Becky followed a desire to work in the clinics and hospital, while Tommy felt he should concentrate his ministry in the schools to work with the street gangs so prevalent in the area. The social programs, political rhetoric, and even local government and law enforcement were no match for the pressure put on by the young by local gang mentality. Too often, the motto of the rebels, join or die, became a reality in the life of someone who attempted to stand alone. Through the Holy Spirit, Tommy saw through the exterior of the gang toughs into their souls, and he saw the need only Jesus could feel. As the bus pulled into the school, Tommy said a silent prayer. Lord, I remember you told me that if I would go, you would be with me and make my life significant. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Well, looky here, a brand new pile of dog just got off the bus. A voice came to the, from the side as Tommy's foot touched the pavement. As Tommy turned in the direction of the voice, a pain overcame him, an excruciating pain just before things got fuzzy. Tommy found himself flat on his back near the front wheel of the bus, blood spurting from his nose all over his shirt. Instantly, Red Carlson bounded from the driver's seat and lunged at Waco, the kid who threw the punch, and pulled him into the now-empty bus, closing the door behind him and leaving Tommy and the startled gang members outside. As Tommy realized what was happening and recovered enough to get to his feet, he could see through the bus windows that Waco was on the floor with Red's knee on his chest holding him down. Everyone was so surprised at the unusual turn of events that for an instant, Waco's gang members, the rest of the kids in the playground, and even Waco, Red, and Tommy stayed frozen in their positions in utter silence. Finally, Tommy said the first words, Come on, Red, open the doors. He's just trying to be tough. Let him go. With a kindly grin, Red removed his knee from Waco's chest. Before he was completely set free, Waco was stopped by the doors that were still held shut by his captor. Quietly, Red spoke to his agitated, unwilling audience, and his words greatly impacted the spirit of this startled captive. Young man, should anything like this happen again to Tommy Bracken, this bus, me, or any of Tommy's friends... I will pray that the powers of heaven come against you and bring you to your knees. I'd suggest you make it your life's work to protect that young man, he said, nodding toward Tommy, or your life won't be worth the 27 cents you have in your pocket. Do you understand what I mean? Yes, sir, was all that would come out of Waco's mouth. One other thing, Red added. Within that boy, again nodding at Tommy's direction, is more power than you've ever dreamed of in your entire life. I'd find out what it is if I were you. Having said that, he opened the bus doors. Waco bounded from the bus and walked past Tommy without him looking in his direction. His gang, the rebels, followed obediently behind him. Waco's only response to their questioning of what should be done was, leave him alone. We've got better things to do. Without anyone realizing it, the Lord, through the heavenly warriors in the bus and on the playground, had established Tommy as a quiet leader in the school. Waco thought that he ran the school and had attempted to establish that authority the instant Tommy stepped from the bus. 
but God had other plans for the souls of his precious children held in the bondage of fear. Tommy was to be found faithful as a strong, bright light testifying of Jesus. He was given the grace gift of agape love for his fellow man. Motivated by it and caring only for others, he allowed them to see Christ. He loved the unlovable and always had the time to help the hurting. He then discipled them until they themselves were able to show that same Jesus to others. Most newcomers would try to infiltrate the most popular group of kids in the school, but not so with Tommy. He sought out the lonely, the outcast, or the helpless, and he befriended them. One instance of the miracle power of love was visible in Larry Stern. Larry was born without the full use of his left side. His left arm was dwarfed to appear approximately half the size of his right arm. He always had a pain in his left leg, so he favored it. As he would walk, he gave the appearance of a crippled bird. The kids, in their evil ignorance and in need for importance, gave Larry the name Birdclaw and would taunt him unmercifully at any opportunity. One afternoon lunch period, when the games had run out and the boredom had set in, most of the class had congregated in the corner next to the school steps. The guys were demonstrating their bravado by arm wrestling, and the girls were standing around ogling, posing, and spurring them on. Larry and Tommy had been catching up on some homework in the rear of the school, and upon completing their assignment, they walked to the stairs to wait for the bell to call them back to class. Often in times like these, they would discuss the things of God and their purpose for being born. Larry had given his life to Jesus several months before and had been healed of all the anger and hurt caused by the ridicule that he had faced throughout his life. For hours on end, they would discuss the life of Jesus and how he glorified the Father with every action he took and how he could adapt it to everyday life. Often Larry would pray to be like Jesus to those who needed to see a strength they didn't have themselves. Tommy and Larry would make up situations and then study and pray as to how to best represent Jesus. Their watchword together was, what would Jesus do given the same situation? In fact, as either one would come upon a given situation, they would call out, check it out. It would mean that the other one would have to determine what Jesus would do and prove it through the Bible. The pair had just seated themselves on the steps when Tony, the most insecure and therefore the loudest of the group, noticed that they had arrived. Hey, Larry, Tony jeered in their direction. Some of the crowd tried to quiet him, but hate and need for approval compelled him to continue. Hey, Birdclaw, I'm talking to you, he began again, walking over to the steps. Larry and Tommy began to pray silently. Since you've been hanging around with the loco over here, you've gotten even uglier than you were before. Tony turned in Waco's direction and received a nod of approval, which gave him more confidence. What do you say? You say the cripple do a little arm wrestling? You got one good arm and may not have any legs that work, but he must be good for something. Why don't the two of you go at it? The cripple was Nicky White. Nicky had been a very active gang member before a bullet severed his spinal column and left him paralyzed from the waist down. Because of his anger and festering hatred and because of the rest of the gang just tolerated him unless they could somehow use him, he was the most dangerous. He really belonged nowhere and hovered at the perimeter of everything. This last taunt made him furious. To be classified with the bird claw was the biggest insult Tony had ever paid him. I ain't going to fight him. He's freaky, Nicky spat in Tony's direction. Why not, Tony goaded him. You guys could be the fight of the century. The laughter of the crowd gave Tony more bravado. 
What about you, Claw? He continued, turning to Larry, who was calmly observing all that was developing. The two children of God had waited in prayer for everything to unfold. Too often, they had seen the heart of a hero rise up in very ordinary people when empowered by God. They were not going to miss this opportunity by taking anything on their own on their own strength. Larry, taking his eyes off Tony, looked at Tommy, who was grinning seemingly inappropriately for the circumstances. Both knew what that meant and simultaneously said, Check it out. Larry hobbled over to Nikki, who was fuming at the embarrassment of the situation, hatred toward the claw literally oozing from every pore. As Larry approached him, he growled in a low, determined voice, I ain't going to fight no freak. I know, Larry said with a smile. You couldn't gain anything by beating me because anyone could beat me. However, there is a war that has already been won for you on a cross over 2,000 years ago. So in the name of Jesus Nazareth, rise up and walk. With that, Larry extended his good arm to Nikki, who stared at him for a moment of disbelief. Slowly, Nikki reached out to grasp the extended arm. As soon as he did, the strength he needed to stand was released. A collective gasp from the crowd broke the silence as Nicky rose from the wheelchair. He simply stood and stared questioningly into Larry's eyes. Go ahead, walk, Larry encouraged him. So he did. Nicky walked and within days was running and jumping and completely whole. Over the weeks, Nicky inquired about the power that healed him. In doing so, Larry had the opportunity to show him his best friend Jesus. The new heart that came with his salvation would soon lead him to lay his life down while attempting to rescue a small child from a burning building. He was running in for the third time when an explosion rained debris into him, killing him instantly. Larry never experienced that kind of healing miracle in his own life. He had not even been healed physically, but he did have the miracle of new life and friendship. Because of God's love through Tommy, seeds of greater love would grow and be given to many. Through Tommy, at times, even the most hardened heart saw the love that took Jesus to the cross and surrendered to it. On Thursday, Waco's gang, the rebels, decided to settle the long and bitter battle for the Third Street turf once and for all. The Falcons were determined to hold on, even though most of the time the turf was occupied by the rebels. As hostilities grew, everyone knew that it was just a matter of time before it would come to this. The time had been set for 6 p.m., each side had laid, its out, laid out its strategy. The rules were simple. There were none. The only guidelines were that it was going to be face-to-face. -face. No hiding, no cars, simple weapons, head-on, until one game backed off and ran. Tommy, seeing the stupidity of all this, tried to talk Waco even days before the fight. You're loco, Waco responded to his pleas. You and your Jesus can go to hell. Leave me alone. Tommy spent most of Wednesday night praying for God to intervene somehow. Hours at a time, he wept for the souls of the boys on both sides. Somehow let them see you, Jesus, before it's too late for them, Tommy cried. It's an ambush, Sarah Fielding said with tears in her eyes. Tommy, it's an ambush to waste Waco. They're going to kill him, and then there won't be any fights no more. Dick Bellows told me, you got to do something. With that, t Tommy took off in a dead run across the open field that led to the vacant lot on the other corner of 3rd and White Oak. The site had been chosen so that all who lived there could witness who won. Then there would be no more dispute. He headed for the alley behind Cooley's groceries where the rebels were meeting before going to the fight. Tommy arrived the same time Waco did. When he saw Tommy, his anger flared. 
What are you doing here? You get out of my face before I kill you myself, Waco foamed. He picked up a piece of iron that was laying near the step and led to the back of the, the door to the store. I said, get out of here, freak. Praying ain't going to do. Tommy, noticing a speeding car rounding the corner behind Waco, ran straight toward the intended victim. A gunshot was heard, and the precise moment that Waco was pushed to the side, the bullet ripped into Tommy's chest, throwing him heavily against the wall of the building. Waco turned and saw the car speeding away. Mesmerized for a moment, he could only stare as blood gushed from Tommy's chest, soaking his shirt. By the time Waco came to his senses, one of the rebels had already taken Tommy into his arms and was sitting with him against the building. Why did you do it, you stupid idiot? That was for me. Why did you do it, he said, screaming it with tears in his eyes. Tommy looked up weakly at the person who had hated him, blood now coming from his nose and the side of his mouth. Because if you die now, he said, choking on his own blood. If you die now, you'll burn in hell for eternity. And Jesus doesn't want that. Tommy coughed and then went silent forever. Waco gaped as his still bloodied body, the pipe was going to use on this freak, was still in his hand. As he became aware again of what he was holding, he let the pipe fall to the ground, and he walked away. The sun was bright. The morning mist had just dissipated in the old cemetery yard. Quiet conversation could be heard between sobs as the medium-sized wooden casket was gently lowered into the ground. The Brackens, aching their loss but knowing that Tommy was simply on loan from God, bathed in quiet inner peace, and hung on the fact that they would one day be reunited. Behind a tombstone in the far corner sat Waco. He had been there all night, needing answers to questions he had never asked before. In Tommy, Waco had been had seen the strength that he had never experienced before. The weakness of that kind of love had always made him angry for some reason. How could weakness be so strong, he asked himself over and over. It all made him sick to his stomach. Prior to everyone's arrival for Tommy's burial, a lone old man came out of the morning shadows. He walked right up to the startled youth, and he spoke gently. The answer is Jesus. Tommy has gone to be with him, but you are here to do the work that is left. Go to Jesus. He loves, and he forgives you. With that, the man turned and walked back into the shadows. Waco dropped his head between his knees, and he called out to the one who Tommy loved most. In future weeks, the love of God would spread hotter than the hate of the street and stronger than any war through Waco. Jesus had been glorified through Tommy, and many would know of a love far more valuable than any turf could ever be. Whew. Wow. What a chapter. I bet you didn't see that one coming, did you? What what an incredible thought to to live in us and, and for the considerations, the world that we currently live in is just as lost as the one written of in this book. Uh, matter of fact, I, I am continually I'm, I'm continually telling Rhonda I cannot believe how 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 closely this book written in the late 1990s uh, literally resembles our world today. Our cities today, our streets today, and even in the condition of our churches today. What an incredible, powerful thought that this book is portraying the love of Christ in such a way that one would give up his life for another. And think of what Tommy said to him. If you die today not knowing Jesus, you'd go to hell. 
And, and, and I can't, I can't, I couldn't deal with that. I mean, it's literally what he said. I need you to understand that there's still time for you. Jesus did the same for us on that cross. He gave his life for us. He took the beating for us. He carried the cross for us. He, he died the death for us with our sin upon him. He was buried and he is resurrected for us. And he's calling out to you today, just surrender. That There's more power in the presence of God in our life than you will ever find in your journey through this world. You'll never find the peace, the, the provision, the happiness, the joy, the success until you surrender and die to yourself and allow Christ to become Lord of your life. What a powerful, powerful chapter. We're gaining near the end of this book. I pray that it's messing you up and stirring your heart to be who God has called you to be in these last days that we are currently in. God bless you guys. We love you. Thank you so much for your tuning in, following along on our podcast, listening to the story times, all the other podcasts that we drop every single day. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. May God bless you. Rhonda and I love you. We'll talk to you again real soon.